subject matter, of course, is Jesus at the crossroads of culture. And specifically, I'm talking about staying on God's side. And so I've given you a lot of scripture that really communicates why it's important for us as Christians, as believers, to understand what the will of the Lord is and to always do our best to stay on God's side. Because in the world that we live in, you and I are going to be tempted or pulled to go another direction, pulled by somebody else's agenda, the pull of our own weakness of our flesh, the pull of this world system that's fallen. And, of course, you could be pulled by temptation itself that the enemy presents. And so it's so important that we're rooted and grounded in truth. Let's start, though, with the definition of culture. That's something we all have on our notes today. It's the beliefs, values, and characteristics shared by people in a place or time that shapes some very important things. It shapes their behavior, their way of living. It shapes their worldview. This could be pop culture, political culture, social, economic, and, yes, the faith or religious culture. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. God's word is reliable and it will uphold and it will sustain us. It will feed and nurture our soul. And then Paul wrote to the church in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. And he made this outstanding statement about scripture. All scripture, not some we just can't hempeck our, our favorite. It's not a smorgasbord, you know. All of Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. It originates with Him and is profitable for doctrine. When we think about something that's profitable, it pays dividends. And so the Word of God pays rich dividends. Now, when we talk about doctrine, it's sound or timeless teaching. It's what always has been and what always will be. And so it's the truth. And the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. Generationally, the truth stands the test of time. And so does good doctrine. And so scripture is given unto us so that we would have good teaching, good doctrine, so that what? We would not be deceived. And not being deceived means that we profit from the truth. The truth profits us. And then he says it's for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, it, it sort of straightens us out when we're crooked. It, it's like a, a good adjustment at a chiropractor spiritually. If you're cattywampus or you're not really in alignment, then the word of God will straighten us out. It's good for correction in case we ever do veer off course. And anybody in here with me, you ever veered off course? Yeah. But the word of God will bring us right back into that place where we're once again on solid ground for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man or the woman of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants to equip us in the day that we live in. There should be some tools in our spiritual toolbox that we get from our abiding relationship with the word of God and the word of God will protect us and it will strengthen the faith because it's likened unto a seed and when that seed of the word of God which is incorruptible is planted into the heart and it's guarded and it's nurtured it's going to bear forth fruit and God's going to be glorified so in order for us to stay on God's side regarding what 
his word says, then we first and foremost have to know what his word says. If we're going to stay on God's side, what is God's side? What's God's thoughts about some of the things that are being presented in our culture today? Some of the the thoughts or the philosophies or the agendas, the mindsets that are out there that are really shouting and screaming for people's attention. We talked about one of them last week where the culture says love is love. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says God is love. God is the one who gets defined to define love because he is the person from which love originates. He is the designer of love. He's the creator of love. He knows more about love than the culture will ever begin to understand. And so if we're going to understand what love is, we have to know who God is and how God responds to us, even in our brokenness or sinfulness. He still loves us. But does God say there's consequences for disobedience? Absolutely. But does he cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we do sin and we come to him and confess our sin? Is he faithful and just to cleanse us and restore us back into fellowship? Absolutely. But we can't be tempting God and at the same time be claiming all the blessings of God. That's not walking in wisdom. It's not walking in the fear of the Lord. It's not walking in the love of the Lord. And so... If we're going to understand what love is, and love has various expressions. There's the kind of love that family has for one another, and that's talked about in Scripture. And there's the love that, that, friend, that, uh, that you can have with, with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that's talked about in Scripture. There's the love that people have who are married, a romantic type of love. And then there's the love of God, the unconditional love. And all four of those are mentioned throughout Scripture. In order to understand what God's perspective and viewpoint on love is, with your family, with your friends, correct, even with your spouse and his love, we have to know what his word says. And what his word says, then we can align ourselves with that And that's profitable and that will instruct us and that will help us. And even if we're off course a little bit, it will correct us because God doesn't want us to stay off course. The very fact that he gives us his word, which is synonymous with light, we'll get into here in a moment. It's so, so valuable to us. It's a treasure and it's something that we should guard, we should protect and we should pay attention to because his words are Life to all those that find them and health to all of their flesh. Tremendous benefits from knowing the word of God. So we live in a culture that's screaming, that's shouting, that, that, that wants, wants people to listen to their messages. Even the word of God says that there's many, many voices in the world and none without a message or none without signification. Everyone who is who is on their soapbox and is is screaming and shouting for someone to give them their ear, not only do they have an agenda, but, you know, they are being driven or motivated by some kind of, whether it's ego or whether it's a spirit or whether it's something like that. And it's prevalent in the world that we live in. You can't, 
You can't listen to music without hearing there's an agenda at time with certain uh, genres of music, and that's all genres, including Christian music. Uh, the end should be to glorify the Lord. There is an agenda. There is a purpose. And so we're not excluded from this. But, but I'm praying that we develop discernment, insight, sensitivity to know what is right, what is holy, what is true, what is just, and to remove anything that's contrary to that. And so the word of God is able to help us in all of those ways. The culture is screaming and shouting. We're instructed, though, to read, to study, and to meditate upon the word so that we won't be deceived. The best investment we can make is to hide God's word in our heart. Why? That we may not sin against him. God's word is synonymous with light, with truth, with righteousness and power. And those are the ways that that it's communicated to us in Scripture. The Word of God is light. In all matters of life, we can rely on the counsel of God's Word to help us, to enlighten us, to reveal truth to us, to lead us on paths of righteousness, and to empower us to live victoriously. I like this illustration of the Word of God. The Word of God is like gold. But what the culture is, is, is offering is brass. And they look real similar. The culture says, listen to me. We have a, a new revelation. We have something that's new. And, and I remind you, it's not what's new that sets you free. It's what's true that sets you free. Amen. And these people that are coming up with these new ways of living and, and new ways uh, of, of viewing the world and, and, and view new ways of gender identity or sexuality or or just their own individual uh, uh, ways or philosophies. Uh, it's, it's, as I stated last week, there's nothing new under the sun, but it is repackaged. And all temptation is designed to do one thing, get man to act independent of God. That's what temptation is all about. Just, and that is what the culture is saying, that you can be your own God. That's humanism. You can, you can make the own rules. You can have your own truth and your truth is your truth, whether anybody else accepts it or not. But that's not truth. And that's not something that's new. That's been around generationally. But it may be new in this sense. Maybe there's some things you've never encountered before. Maybe they're new to you, but they're not new to the word of God. They're not new to the Word of God. So that's why the Word can anchor us and keep us from drifting or moving away from the truth. That's why studying and understanding what the Word of God teaches protects us from those well-packaged messages that are endeavoring to get us to compromise our stand on the Word of God. Now, in no place in Scripture... Are we given permission to talk in a condescending way to people in the culture? But we are called to talk to them in a way that the Holy Spirit can bring conviction to them concerning Christ. It says that a soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. And there's a lot of anger 
in our world today. There's a lot of people that are wound tight. And it doesn't take much. Just one little touch and the spring recoils and all kinds of things come out. What is the remedy to that? Well, you can't fire fire with fire in that situation. What you have to do is you have to get still. You have to get quiet. And the softer you get, then potentially the more they'll be willing to listen. But if you elevate the decibel level, the louder they get, the louder you get, then all you have is a bunch of noise and no one wins. And God's spirit is not able to come and reveal truth to people. How many of you have experienced that the wrath of man or the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God? Yeah, I have. I have. And where did we learn that? Well, we learned that through the word, but sometimes by experience, sometimes in our zeal and our passion to defend the faith. Sometimes we talk inappropriately to people. We treat them in a way that's not honorable before the Lord, all in the name of righteousness. We can spin it, too. Isn't that right, church? We have to be careful. Sometimes our soapbox, we declare it to be a holy soapbox. But when you start getting into this comparison issue with people in the culture, all you're going to do is escalate the tension, the awkwardness. So we have to be able to tell the people the truth, but we have to do it in the right spirit. If they receive it, praise the Lord. If they don't, listen, praise the Lord. May the Lord be praised no matter what. May we not take it personal. May, may we not just walk away and say, well, you know, so much, you know, for being a witness. I guess I'm not a very good witness. Oh, don't diminish the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you do things the right way and you stay on God's side and I stay on God's side, listen to me. When you leave that conversation, he stays with that person. Those seeds that you planted are not in vain. Those seeds that you watered will bear fruit. You just have to have faith in God. All of us have a part to play in communicating the truth, but we have to do it in the right spirit. So God's word does enlighten us. It reveals truth to us. It leads us on paths of righteousness for his namesake. It empowers us to live victoriously. Thank God for the word. I'm believing for a revival of the Bible. It's amazing during the pandemic, Bible reading was up upwards to 40% during the pandemic. You know where it's gone since? Down 40%. It means that people paid attention when there was enough pain. But are we paying attention day in and day out? Is it our daily bread or is it just for emergencies only? I know if I just ate one meal a day over a long period of time or one meal a week over a long period of time, I wouldn't have much strength or vitality. Physically, the same thing is true spiritually. We are consumers. Would you hear that again? Whether you want to put yourself in that category or not, we are consumers. We're consuming something. You're listening to somebody. Someone has your ear. Someone 
Someone has your attention. Would you agree with that? You're listening to somebody. Well, there's no one better to listen to than than the word of God. There's no one better to listen to than the Lord. And may every other person who has impact or influence or you respect be filtered through that truth. And if you're confused or perplexed or troubled about a message that someone is propagating that you know isn't healthy or beneficial, pray for that person. Find a way to bless that person. Do good to that person. That's what Jesus instructed us to do. If someone speaks evil of you, don't return evil for evil. You overcome evil by what? Doing good. Stay on God's side. In all affairs of life, stay on God's side. Do your best first to know what God's thoughts or ways or principles or truths are. And then just firmly stand. And having done all, keep standing. If we don't know what to say, the best thing to do is what? Don't say nothing. You look real smart. (laughs) Don't open up your mouth and give away that you don't know what you're talking about. Anybody ever done that? Woo! Boy. Now, so let's stay on God's side. So God's word is likened unto gold. What the world and the culture is offering is brass. Don't exchange gold for brass. Don't exchange the truth for a lie. Scripture says that we're living in the last days. That all began on the day of Pentecost. Joel's prophecy was fulfilled. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and says, you know, in the last days, in the last days, God's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. Then he talked about all the things that are going to happen as a result of that. Sons and daughters prophesying. He just talked about, you know, older men and women having dreams, young people having visions, and there's going to be signs in the heaven above and on the earth. And But the end of the culmination of God pouring out of the Spirit is one central truth. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God is gathering people. God wants people to know that He's alive And that there's a way that they can come to faith in him and be saved from their sin and experience his presence and one day experience heaven. Since we're living in these last days, scripture has clearly communicated that deception will be widespread. So I want to encourage us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let's stay on God's side. Let's say what God's word says about all matters of life and all lifestyles. I asked you last week and I'm going to ask you again this week. When someone is sharing with you something that they believe is true and powerful and life changing, but you know that it's none of those things, that it's deceptive, it's restrictive and it produces death. Ask then this question. Take your philosophy all the way to the end. Think about it all the way to the end. And what does it produce? 
And who will be glorified? Get people to thinking by engaging with them through questions. While you may have something of value to say to them at the moment, just wait. Give them a little time to think and ponder about it. Consider it. And then maybe at another time you can engage in maybe a little bit more of a specific conversation after they've had a moment to think about something. Sometimes people would would make a statement to me about how they believe that they should handle a situation. And, and I knew it wasn't going to be something that ended well. I knew it was going to cause problems. I knew it had the potential, I mean, to just blow up in their face. But they already had it figured out. They told me what they were going to do. So I just let them do it. And then at the end of it, I would try to seek them out and I'd ask, hey, how'd that end up? What happened? It's amazing when things don't go the way that we script or the way we sort of forecast it to. And someone says, hey, how'd that end up? How willing maybe and open and receptive we are to something that could be different. I've even said to people, you know, I wanted to say something, but I didn't really want to have an argument with you at the time. So, hey, I'm sorry it didn't work out. Can I share something with you, though, that you can consider, you can ponder, you can think about? These are just things that I've learned, trial and error. I've done it the wrong way. So you don't have to learn, you know, from your mistakes. You can learn from mine. I'm just glad to be an open book that way. I've made plenty of mistakes. But this is one thing I do know is that if I do mess up, I do know how to make up. I know how to get things right. And I'm not beyond Messing up. But thank God there is mercy, there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's renewal, there's reconciliation. For anyone who wants it, it's available. It's always there. So I want us to take a look at a portion of Scripture with just the few remaining minutes that I have. That is, uh, let's go to the book of Timothy. I ask you to go there and thanks for being patient. And let's see what this wonderful letter has to say in regards to how we are to live in these deceptive and precarious days. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying, Timothy, I know you want to leave. Everything within you recoils at being placed in Ephesus. But I want you to stay there. He wouldn't ask him to stay unless Timothy wanted to leave. Timothy, the church at Ephesus had two incredible seasons. They had a season of revival and they had a season of a riot. And that just it wasn't in the city. That was within the church. There was a time of great ingathering. And there was a time where people were leaving the church by masses because of persecution. And so Paul is writing to Timothy now because he is beginning to be fearful. And Paul is going to stir up his son in the faith and remind him, you have to stay at your post. I know things aren't good. It's not easy. And the culture is trying to invade the church. 
And you're going to have to stay and you're going to have to give some really specific instructions to people who are teaching things that are improper. And no one likes to do that. I I, I love it when people learn because they have a desire to learn. It's really hard to bring correction or instruction to somebody when they're teaching something that's false and they believe it's true. Oh, my gosh. How many of you wake up every day and you say, you know, God, give me five people that I can confront with error today. I mean, I'm just longing. I'm just salivating. I'm like Pavlov's dog. I just hardly can wait to just encounter someone and just straighten them out. If we ever think that way, may God have mercy on us. (laughs) No, none of us. So we wake up, we say, Lord, who can I be a blessing to today? Who can I serve? Who can I help? Who can I lift up? Well, this is. This is a, a, a tough task, but he, he goes on and he says, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. The word fables there is where we get the English word mythology. There's a lot of people out there that are peddling myths, mythologies, endless genealogies. And this is what it produces, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So we should be doing, we should be seeking that which edifies in the faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment, here's the purpose for God's word. In case you really didn't understand it, I believe most of you did, but it's a good reminder. Is love from a pure heart. When someone is obeying and following the commandments or the truth of God's word, it produces love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. From which some having strayed, that means to wander, Having turned aside to idle talk, someone else got their ear. They, they turned away from sound teaching. They turned away from the word of God. They turned away from the instruction of God. And now they open themselves up to the culture and the culture's way of thinking and believing and behaving. And it, what did it produce? They started to wander. And question, well, maybe there is something that's new. Maybe, maybe you know, there, there's something out there and, and I just need to go investigate it and, and see what it is. And let me remind you, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. If just a little bit enters in, a little bit of error, it can really grow and expand. And here's... The motive of these false teachers, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor what they affirm. They desire, they desire to be seen and heard. They just love it. They love an audience. And, but they don't even know what they're talking about. But they're good talkers. Have you ever been around someone who has a gift of gab? It doesn't matter. They can talk about anything because they have the gift of gab. And you're like, wow, that person's really like well-read and and intelligent. No, maybe they're just a gabber. (laughs) It's just a gabber. Say, Pastor, you have that gift. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Thank you. And I get a witness. My spiritual dad said, Doug, you know what you are? And I said, tell me, Dad, what am I? He said, you're a storyteller. And he, he doesn't mean that like I tell fibs. That's what my mom used to say. Doug, why are you telling me that story? And I'd be like, oh, Mom. 
No, look at me, son. Oh, mom. But it's just sort of part of my DNA, I guess. It's one of the ways I illustrate. He goes on in chapter 3 and verse 14 through 16. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know, you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. See, one of the things that the culture says today is, yeah, hey, you know, you check that box with God. You got Jesus in your life and that's all you need. You don't need the church. You don't need the body of Christ. You don't need to gather to grow. You don't need to have accountability. You don't need to be under authority. You ever hear those messages in the culture? How about, the voice of the culture screaming at our kids that they don't need to be respectful to policemen or to parents, to teachers or educators or pastors. It's the same whisper. It's the same spirit, right, that was operative back then. It's still operative today. Hey, you you don't need to be accountable. You don't need to go. You're all right with God. All you need is the Bible and the Holy Ghost. That's all you need. That's not true. That's like the finger saying, I don't need the hand, and the hand saying, I don't need the forearm, and the forearm saying, I don't need the bicep and tricep, and I don't need the shoulder, and shoulder saying, I don't need the chest or the back. We all need each other. But the philosophy of this world is humanistic. It's independence. Be independent. Go your own way. You'll figure it out. The Holy Spirit will teach you. But the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit when you're with other believers. See, I only know so much. But when I'm around other believers, they really flavor and salt and and add spice to my life. They know things I don't know. We learn a lot more by listening than we do by talking. That's really deep. Think about that. May we be good listeners. He goes on and he he, he says there in verse 16, and without controversy, this isn't even something that that is a, a little bit controversial. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the truth. Justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That's really good teaching. That's solid doctrine. That's sort of knowing, you know, beginning to end. Here's here's the gospel in a nutshell. And then we get to this interesting verse. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some, not all, some will depart from the faith. Why? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I want to just break this down for you. And give you a greater expression of what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. The Spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of grace. And he's saying something expressly. The word expressly means something spoken so clearly or something that is unquestionable, certain and true. Reliable. No controversy with this. You can go to the bank on it Monday through Friday, and this check will always cash. It's good. 
What is he saying? What is he saying that is unquestionable, certain, and true? That in the latter times, the word latter means at the ultimate end or the very last of something. It's what uh, the captain of a ship would say as he is going into the last port on his journey. There's no other ports to go to. I've completed. I'm at the end of my journey. And this is what the Spirit says. At the end of the end times, at the very latter end, not at the beginning where God poured out of Spirit, but at the very latter end of the end times, he says, the word times means seasons or dispensations. Some will depart. Some will depart. Now, the sum, the sum is a notable sum. Jesus said that if those days weren't shortened, even the elect would be deceived. That's how well packaged deception will be in the last days. That's how profound it will sound. That's how enlightening it promises to make people. But they're not going to give you light. They're not going to give you truth. It's not going to give you power. It's not. It's going to end up causing people to be bankrupt spiritually. Some will depart from the faith. The faith there is the faith, like faith in God. They're going to depart, and it's a slow departure. How many? There's going to be a number of people that are going to begin to drift, wander, sway away from the truth. They're going to get off of the rock and they're going to start building their life on the sand. Giving heed, this is what's going to cause them, some, to depart from the faith. Giving heed means embracing deceiving spirits. I found this to be a notable point. That the deceiving spirits are peddling messages about moral issues, sexual issues, gender issues. That's very specific in the Greek lexicon. That's amazing, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is, is prophesying through the Apostle Paul, pointing down the road to the time that you and I are living in or getting closer to all the time, saying in the end, What's going to cause people to drift? What's going to cause people to wander and slowly move away from the faith? Gender issues. Sexual identity issues. People will will develop a critical or a condescending attitude. If you don't conform to their image or their way, or their beliefs, they'll just cut you off. We call that what? Cancel culture. Are we living in those times? They'll just cut you off. They want you to buy what they're selling, hook, line, and sinker, but they won't listen to what you have to offer at times. I think it's just amazing how accurate and how true and how relevant the Word of God is. But these new philosophers, these new, these new people that are out there, 
they're not they're not basing anything that they're teaching on the word of God. Or if they do, it's completely out of text. So they want these deceiving peoples want people to wander one step at a time, one step at a time. As a result of veering morally, this person becomes adrift and ends up off course. Doctrines of demons are well-packaged teaching that leads people into confusion, ungodly lifestyles, and humanistic worldviews. That's the end of it, if we listen to that. Let me give you one example. It's one of technology, and technology is like money. It has no morals. It just takes on the morals of whoever's hands it in. But this fits the end-time prophecy because Daniel said in the end time, knowledge will abound. And knowledge is growing exponentially all the time. Every 30 days, it, 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 it does something amazing. It, every 90 days, it like quadruples or what's going on in the world today. And the access to information is unprecedented. But here are some things that people are unaware of sometimes with technology that maybe we need to pay attention to. Technology in and of itself can be captured and used for the purposes and the glory of God. But there are people that have agendas with technology and with certain platforms that they have that you can access through technology. They want to shape people's beliefs or reshape them. They want to impact or change their behavior, their conduct, or the path in which they walk, and they want to change the neurological path of their brain. There's a scientific evidence right now. Let's just take any form of technology. You could take your phone. It's just the easiest illustration that we have because most of us have one. And this is what deception does and that we have to be careful of. Every parent in this room or grandparent can identify with what I'm about to say. We say that children or grandchildren or the young or the innocent are being impacted or influenced through technology that's in a phone. And we would relegate it to them and not to us. And to show how how slippery that slope is. Has anybody reached for your pocket because you thought your phone was buzzing and it wasn't? You don't think there's science behind that? That's neurological change. It's changing the pathway that your brain processes problems, gathers information, or comes up with conclusions. There's two notable studies. One was done in the United States at Cornell University. This is about a 10-year-old study. And they took a group of college kids. And, of course, education systems use technology, and you can use it for good purposes. But they have free time. And so with free time, they do other things with technology, and it can lead to a lot of problems. Just the way they believe, the way they behave, because now they're entitled to things or the way that their neurological processors actually process and come to conclusions. So Cornell University did this study, and what they cited 
was that there is no difference in brain activity with college students who are addicted to phones as those that are addicted to heroin. It affects the same portion of the brain without exception. Addiction is addiction. And it changed the brain. The second study, which was done last year by a group of scientists in China, is the one that's maybe the most fascinating to me because it's so current. And they actually used imagery, used the MRI and all of the, the, the technology that way. And they took, and I don't know where they found these people, but in China, because of the government, they're there because on, they only get certain information through technology. The government regulates what they get or what they don't get. It's not like in our nation where you can just have access to anything. In China, it's very restricted and limited. They found 50 people who had never had access to technology in any shape, form, or fashion, and they took a scan of their brain. And they put it right next to people who had access to technology for years. You know how long it took for the people who have never had technology to have the same brain damage or dependency or addictive uh, patterns as those who had had it for years? Anyone want to gander a guess? Two weeks. Two weeks, that was it. This all fits an end-time narrative. The enemy who is behind everything that's deceptive, right, doesn't want people to use their God-given brain to think. He wants you to use technology to think. He wants someone else to do your thinking for you. How many of you remember the day that you got to use a calculator in your advanced math classes? Wasn't that an awesome day? I want to say this, though, was it? Because we could have done it longhand. Maybe we wouldn't have had as many equations, but we could have problem solved. We could have engaged our brain. We could have followed it all the way to the conclusion. It may have taken three sheets of paper. We have the capacity to do it. How much are we forfeiting because we like shortcuts? We want someone else to tell us what to believe. We want someone else to tell us how to behave. We want, and, and then it's okay because so-and-so said it's okay. So-and-so said it's okay to think this way. So-and-so said it's okay to behave this way. You know how, how dangerous it is for young girls to walk across the camp, college campus today? Because there are certain young men that feel entitled that if she's cute and pretty and I have access to her, then I can violate her and take her innocence. And then we say, well, you know, just, you know, just, we all want to chalk it up to something rather than what it is. I'm not saying that mental health isn't an issue with some people, but it's not the blanket for all issues like that. And so when the Holy Spirit is saying something expressly, without question, and he's pointing to certain types of behavior and certain types of beliefs, that are introduced into our culture through deceptive teachings and doctrines, it's not for the purpose of scaring us, it's for preparing us. So let's read as we finish 
what should we do about all of these things? Verse 7, but reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. Get rid of this mythology. It's mythology. It's not Christianity. It's mythology. Get rid of it. Don't pay attention to it. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. How many infomercials are there about this new drug that's going to cause you and I to live another 10 years? Really? I mean, do the exercise you need to do. Take care of the body that you need to take care of. But godliness, exercise yourself towards living a godly life. So verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance for this And we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. You're going to get persecuted for for living and walking on this path with God. But rejoice anyway. Who is the savior of all men, especially those who have believed? These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity till I come. In other words, just keep doing this. Give attention, give attention, pay attention to what you're reading to the exhortations, to doctrine, and don't neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Some great advice here. Reject these new mythologies. There's there's nothing new under the sun. Exercise yourself towards godliness. Be an example. Live to be a lifetime learner. Take heed. Take heed to yourself and the gift that God has given unto you. Let the work of God be done in you. Look at the man or the woman in the mirror and say, God, let it begin in me. Let it start in me. And then... I want to encourage you in this way. When you're fighting the fight of faith, always fight on holy ground. Don't don't go over to where the enemy is. Just stay where you are. Stand on holy ground. There's so many people that, you know, are chasing, you know, I'm just going to get, we used to call it tree and the devil. They're going to go tree the devil. And after this and after that. And what I'm saying is, You're not called and I'm not called to do that. The enemy will get us busy putting out fires all day long, chasing this, chasing that, chasing this. We need to be chasing Jesus. We need to be walking in the light. And then when the enemy shows up, we're on holy ground and we can fight the right battle because we're under a sure foundation. We're not called to fix people. We're we're incapable. It's outside of our pay scale. It's just beyond our capacity. But what we can do is fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And we can fix our eyes on Jesus, and we can stay on the right road and on the right path. And along that way, there's going to be enough for us to do for the glory of God. You're not going to have to go look for it. God's going to direct your steps into helping people, helping people, nurturing people, ministering to people. All of that's going to take place. But let God be true in your life. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.